This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Sports Biz Pod. I'm your host, Nick Hayden, founder at Sports Biz Group. For this episode, we're excited to unveil the audio from a live event that we put on in New York City in January of 2020. We started an event series called The Athlete Platform, which features current and former athletes and their stories about playing the league, transitioning out of the league, and what they're working on now. For this specific event that we put on was focused around esports, and we were accompanied by a stacked lineup of panelists featuring Ellis Wims, founder at Athletes for Computer Science, and a Super Bowl champion for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We also had Sherard Harrington, founder at Global X Ventures and a former college football player. Accompanied also with Ray Milan, CEO at Pro Sports Gaming, one of the top-ranked Madden players in the world. As well as Sam Asafani, the CEO at OS Studios, which was the host of the venue for this event. And it was all moderated by Jeff Eisenbahn, a sideline reporter and analyst for the NBA 2K League. Thank you so much for tuning to this episode, and we look forward to having you at one of our future events and listening to more episodes on our podcast. Thank you and enjoy. What is your organization that you represent here? And how is it connected to esports and video games? Oh, and I should mention, I'm Jeff Eisenman. Um, and Sam here used to be a part of the NBA, but he left us, so I'm just going to throw that out. So I'll kick it off. Thanks, sir. Uh, yeah, as Jeff said, I'm a, I'm a graduate of the sports industry. I've spent uh, seven years uh, at the National Basketball Association in various content uh, roles, including building the NBA 2K to have the, have the pleasure of working with Jeff previously. But right now, uh, OS uh, NYC, which is where you're at, is uh, really a platform and hub for the community in New York. We designed because we believe that New York had a complete lack of infrastructure for the growing gaming community uh, and for content creators in general. Um, so what you see here on a nightly basis is different events actually run by the community for the community. So the hub of New York. The slight uh, flip side of it, and you can probably see cameras throughout and cabling throughout. Uh, this is also a state-of-the-art broadcast studio that all connects to a control room at the back. So this has been designed where you can actually go live from anywhere and touch of a button. So we produce a lot of a lot of content here for both the community, but also wonderful brands like Twitch, Odd Light, the NBA, uh, Red Bull, and so on. So and the Knicks. So we, uh, thank you for having us. Thank you all for being here as well. Um, like you said, my name is Ellis Williams. Uh, I'm a retired NFL veteran, veteran. I played eight years for the Bucks, the Seahawks, and the Vikings. Um, in retirement, I started an organization called Athletes for Computer Science. Uh, and our goal, uh, just in a nutshell, is to leverage athletic influence in the classroom. So we try to you know, get Athletes to join our video conferences, our class with our students, 
to drive engagement in this learning opportunity. Uh, and we want to take these learning opportunities to places that don't typically get the opportunity to get the exposure. And I grew up in a small town, Indianola, Mississippi, uh, and, I, and I know what it's like. Uh, got a fellow Mississippian right there, you know, like a but I know what it's like, you know, when you grow up and you don't have access to things that can give you hope or they can give you a sense that you have a place in the economy. And I think that's been repeated throughout the entire country, whether it's been in major cities or rural towns, the educational system has kind of left a lot of our people and our students behind. So we want to be a part of really kind of helping innovate. Uh, and now more than ever, whether it's esports or education, it's not about what happened, it's about what's next. Uh, so we want to be about what's next in education. And that's uh, the private sector uh, overstepping whatever government wants to do. And we can take whatever we need to take to our children, to our students, to make sure our communities can thrive 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. So uh, great opportunity to be here. Thank you to you know, Alicia. Uh, and Michelle for inviting me. Uh, it's awesome to be at NYC. I love coming here. Every time I come here, I can feel the energy because I live in the, like the suburbs in Houston. So there's no energy, right? There's no it's like you know, people walking around, walking babies, all types of crap. But here is energy, uh, it's fire, it's passion, it's entrepreneurs, it's people just, just building. So I love being here uh, and I'm grateful for the opportunities on this panel. Yes, my name is Sherrod Hamilton. Um, I'm the founder of Global X Ventures. Um, basically, what we do, uh, we, we recruit influencers and athletes. We help them build their own VC firm and family office. Uh, so my career started, I, I was a former athlete as well. I did not make it to the NFL. My career uh, stopped at the University of Colorado. I had a career in the injury, and that sort of helped me and, and see the vision of empowering other influencers and athletes. Uh, because their careers are not always there, and it's a uh, it's a short lived career. So, yep. my name is Larry Williams. I am the CEO and co-founder of Prospects uh, Gaming, excuse me. And uh, I'm actually a 10 year professional Madden player as well. So when we speak about esports and how some of you may try to understand a little bit better, I come from that background, from being ranked highest number one Madden player in the world early in my career. And for quite some time uh, in the process of that, before esports really kicked off to the point that people were getting paid millions of dollars for winning tournaments, uh, we were still in the primitive stages at that point. I decided to go to coding school, uh, learn how to develop, which is why I, I commend everything that you're doing. And um, with that being said, I went to coding school, linked up with some people who had a similar vision to myself. And in the upcoming year, we'll be launching the first ever 11 on 11 football game on the Xbox and PlayStation 4, meaning that. It'll all be real players, no bots, similar to the NBA 2K neighborhood or the FIFA Pro Sports. We'll be doing the same for football. And at the same time, we will have 1,500 influencers with a median of 1 million followers uh, to be a part of our game as well. So we're very excited about what we're doing. Plus, to be a part of the panel. Thank you. I start with Ray for. Sorry, sir. No, give me the floor. And you got your, you got your DNA right here, sir. So I mean. Well, I was going to say, I, I sat with Ray for like 10 minutes. He gave me a couple of couple of tips, and I think I'm like number three in the world. <laughs> but, uh, if you need help in that, please feel free to reach out Ray, I want to stick with you because, as you mentioned, you, are, you have played professionally in esports. 
what did you is be a profession. And did people try to stop you when you were younger? Yeah, so when I realized that to be a profession was 10 years ago for me, so no one else agreed with me at that time. Uh, now where we are is incredible. And I feel like someone like a 70s NBA player seeing where the NBA is today, I'm like, wow, I'm really happy I made it. Um, but for me, it was about 10, 12 years ago, I wanted to pursue it because I beat my friends really, really, really bad. And I went into local tournaments and be fortunate to win a free game of Madden or something like that. And I was like, I wonder if there's any more than this. Um, for me, I was fortunate to get sponsored, which means I was pro, which means I didn't pay for my airfare, my flights, my accommodation, anything like that. And that really opened the door for me to follow my dream. If I had to, I don't know I'd be, if I'd be here today. Um, so it was about a 10-year run, and um, at that time, it wasn't what it was, but fortunately for guys who stuck with it, and fortunately for things like YouTube and Twitch streaming, it opened the door and blasted open because of corporate sponsorship. And, and I, I mean, for me, that's something that, you know, Twitch and YouTube are things that I think have, have blown up and showed people that video gaming could be an opportunity uh, for you guys, especially Sam working here. You know, what have you noticed about how streaming, how accessibility has changed the game? Yeah, I mean, it's it's about consumption habits. You know, people want to consume in different ways now, and there's something quite raw and direct about life. Um, you can connect with the personalities on the other side, uh, and it's real time. There are mistakes. It's 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 just a lot more real than even reality TV or whatever. It is that we're moving on from. So media consumption has changed. People are watching more long form. They're watching more live. And this isn't just gaming. People are just looking to consume content in new and different ways. Um, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook has obviously launched live. Instagram has live. Mixer. All of these channels are starting to realize that. And I think what has been led, you know, by by people like Ray, uh, content creators as well as pro gamers. Uh, now brands are related. So live was driven by content creators, and now pretty much every progressive brand has a Twitch channel, has a uh, YouTube channel where they go live to it. And that's that's what's pretty fascinating. It's just yet a connection point with a generation that is expecting content whenever they want, however they want. And I know Ellis is a big-time Twitch streamer, said, but, but, but you did, we were talking before, and you told me you have three kids. You're able to see... Those things that's going on right now. What sort of? How old are they? And what sort of content do they consume? I have a ten-year-old son and I have eight-year-old twins. Uh, and the twins are boy and girl. Uh, and again, I grew up as a gamer, so I grew up with Nintendo, uh, you know, the Sega Genesis, you know, going to college, you know, having the PlayStation, playing Madden, like till you know, the wee hours of the morning. Even in the NFL, like uh, you know, we we played Madden and Tiger Woods like all the time after practice. Or the funniest thing in the world is to be on the Minnesota Vikings team playing and hear a bunch of grown men playing Mario Kart. Shooting other with turtles and like, like it's like, dude, you're like 35 years old. Like, you know, the still talking about shooting turtles. But, um, you know, the, the gaming uh, is, for me as a parent, is wanting to understand like, okay, how much should I allow them to do it? Or... Is this really a viable career, or where does it make sense? Because for parents, I think now is like the generation that we kind of had game, but we don't see it as a viable career. 
but it may be something that's there for our children. So it's, again, it's trying to figure out what's next, but when you have kids, you're always trying to be aware, okay, of, you know, what are they doing? Is it positive? Is it going to lead to them having the type of life or the type of career that they want to live? Uh, so I think, you know, right now with esports, it's really about, you know, not necessarily the kids with the growth, but the parents really understanding, okay, why should I allow my child to do this? And how much, right? How much is too much? Uh, how much do we have to do it to make sure he can do whatever he wants to do in that space? So uh, I think, you know, again, I see parents all the time complaining about, all my son does play Fortnite, right? Or, you know, he plays on Call of Duty all the time. Or, you know, he plays NBA all the time. Uh, but I think you know that that next step with with esports and for a parent like me, and that's one of the reasons I came here tonight is to get an understanding of this industry and like how it, how does it make sense uh, for the mainstream? And you know if you can if you can see if you can see a reason for it or an opportunity in it, not that you're going to just drive your kids into one specific thing, but you want to give them options in life. So they can find what they want to do so they can enjoy their life. Not necessarily enjoy their life how you enjoy yours, but they can go out and kind of find their own success in life. So I want to understand this because, again, I got kids at Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo, but I want to know, like, okay, what is this? How would it work for them? So I, I think that's the, the question somebody like me would have. And this is the athlete platform. You work with athletes. What are some of the trends that you're noticing in that regard about esports? Yeah, so a lot of these athletes they play video games, as you know it. Um, the esports realm just uh, it's another option for inner city kids. I see that. Um, I was one of those inner city kids. All I could play is video games or play football or basketball. Uh, I look at this as a, another avenue for kids in those communities. Um, so that's, that's my manly point. And that's, uh, you know, what, what can, how can athletes read esports and video games into what they're already doing from, uh, especially from partnerships and the sponsorship perspective? Yeah. And you guys see the content development side, uh, a lot of people are creating content. It's natural for influencers to create content around video games because they play it. It's authentic. Um, so I see a lot of brands uh, doing a lot of activation with influences around. So I think the, the common question we get in esports a lot is there's it's it's such a hot topic right now. And there's so much money being thrown at esports, and there's so much being invested in esports. And the question people say is, is it all? How do you guys feel about that, Ray? You're 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 ready to go with this. You've got ten years of work on this. So I feel that it's absolutely not a bubble. And it's because it's where entertainment is today. And people wonder primarily, how can someone spend time playing a video game? More importantly, how can someone watch another human being or multiple people play a video game? I'll never get it. I'll never understand it. How is this thing? Because they're not just one playing a video game. They're not going to be compared to an athlete like yourself who's the best in the world just because of that sole entertainment. It's, it's actually the entertainment aspect of it as well. So these YouTubers and these Twitch streamers, the reason they are at the top level is because they are no different to your eight-year-old son as Kevin Hart, who's an entertainer. So they are now personable with these uh, followers that they have, 
and these people now see them as friends. They're more reachable, they're more attainable. So when you see Kevin Hart or any other entertainer speak and their platform on their stage, it's not like you can converse with them one-on-one, moment-to-moment. However, with the YouTuber or a Switch stream, you can converse with them in the moment. And that has incredible power, especially when you're inspired by them because they are funny or popular or good at a video game. And with those things being said, from just a connection standpoint, it won't be a bubble because that interaction of the community won't go away. But more importantly, from a, a business standpoint, a corporate standpoint, the money going into it is not going to go away either because, again, this is primarily what people want to be associated with, the younger demographic especially. I mean, and for those who don't realize, you know, Twitch is such a, uh, you know, such a live stream platform that you have real-time questions being asked by followers that the streamers usually answer themselves. And I think it also brings in kind of the question of streamer versus athlete. What do you guys see? Are, are, they, are they one and the same as a streamer in esports? Or is it different than the professionals versus the streamers? What's the difference? Yeah, I mean, so, so to, to level set, esports is a subset of gaming, right? So, so gaming is nothing new. I mean, gaming's been around for decades. Gaming as an industry is bigger than music, it's a bigger industry than film. So gaming's here, it's been here, it's not going anywhere. Every single one of us at some point picked up a controller. I bet that 99% of you have a game on your phone, right? That's paying into the industry. Even if it's Candy Crush, it counts. Right, so that that that's there. Esports is just the competitive element of it, uh, and I do think there is a differential between a streamer and a professional gamer. Now, there's a lot of crossover. Pro gamers are realizing that streaming is a revenue opportunity, just like an athlete realizes endorsement deals is a revenue opportunity. Content is a revenue opportunity. In exactly the same way, we have professional gamers that have realized I can own this. I can launch my channels. I can own my social media. I can build a brand, right? And there is far more longevity in content creation than in professional gaming, just like there is in sports. But there are pro gamers, and I'm sure Ray worked with or played against a lot of them, that are under the radar. They're, they're not charismatic, they don't like the limelight, just like athletes. And those guys, they live off prize money and salary if they're lucky enough to have a salary from a team. Um, so there is a slight differential. We're just seeing a convergence and raise a perfect example with this YouTube channel where you're having more and more pro gamers realizing that it's a great opportunity to create content to be a streamer. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll say with the, with the content we use, uh, with the program we use in our classes, uh, they use like popular YouTube gamers to teach our coding classes. So they'll have a popular, popular YouTube gamer that the kids are familiar with. So when they see that face pop up in that lesson, they're automatically more engaged because they know that person. They know their voice. Like, and it may be a, it may be a streamer from Europe, right? And these are kids in rural North Carolina, but they know this person's face. So once they see that face, they see that name, oh, that's such and such. And I'm like, I have no clue who that is, but okay, right? They know who it is. Uh, and then they're more engaged in the lesson, right? And then a lot of our, our lessons, again, just like we talked about the, the, the games in your phone, what we're teaching our young kids uh, is the same platform that's used to program a lot of those games. Again, it's block-based coding. So they're learning how to program characters to do certain things within a game, right? So from a software programming standpoint, again, 
they're getting the basics of understanding how to build games, how to build their own games. And you see these little games on TV all the time where they got these huge marketing campaigns for these very simple games, right? Because it's not necessarily about building the game, it's about investing money in the, in the marketing to get more people to download the game, right? But the opportunity to develop games or develop whatever you want is endless, right? Once you understand how to use the tools. So I think, you know, using these, these, these uh, popular streamers, these pro gamers that the kids really recognize and identify with, again, to drive them toward these educational opportunities is an awesome thing, just like we're kind of using the assets that are part of our program to increase engagement in the subject matter. So it all kind of it all kind of fits into an industry that's still kind of finding like is is I don't think esports is like settled in what it's going to be yet, right? Like it's still growing. It's still like we're still finding what the revenue really is going to be to power that industry. So it's not settled yet. So it's good to be preparing uh, our young people to be able to participate in wherever it goes. A quick one, like I, I've said this a couple of times. Uh, uh, we do a lot of panels um, that's like deep into content with traditional television world. And, and one thing I always like to say about esports is if you think of a life cycle, esports is in college right now. All this money's being pumped into it, it's getting its degree. We don't really know if it's going to be worth it or not, but most people bank on a college degree paying out in the end. And that's kind of it. We've gone through the infancy time. There's a huge influx of money right now, and we're about to graduate. Uh, and it's really the, the breakout moment for esports in the next couple of years. Right, I see a lot of nodding. <laughs> I just like the longevity aspect of it. Uh, you look at the traditional athlete, if you're five foot one, you're not going to be the next LeBron James. It's over for you. Um, the schools aren't recruiting you. Um, I look at this esports realm as, uh, as a new industry for those five foot one guys uh, to jump into. College scouts slept on me. <laughs> I got a wet jump shot. Um, you know, I think that uh, one thing that we're talking a lot about esports is a general uh, field, and I think uh, like Ray got into it as a professional game. And I think a lot of people when they say, "Oh, you, you won't make any money in this unless you're a professional," but now we see so many jobs in the esports and gaming industry start to develop. You know, when you're when you guys are maybe like like in your case, giving advice to kids or teenagers or people trying to get out in there, what are some skills that can be learned to work in? And, and there are leagues and teams now. So remember, there are employees for these leagues and teams. What are some some things that you say to those people? I think the main thing that I talk to our students about is problem solving uh, and understanding how to think. Uh, I think every industry, every company wants people who understand how to solve problems and people who can think critically. Well, they don't have to tell you every single thing to do and you can bring your own thoughts your own energy your own plan to that company and help kind of create your own role within that company uh so i talked to the kids again about just really understanding the power of learning how to think think through your problems you have you want to think about okay what what school you want to go to or what career you want to go into or there's something you're faced with in your community every day stop and think right there's levels there's there's a sequence to it there's there's step one step two step three step four so i think oh, no, oh, the overall thing with software programming is really just kind of help ch helping children understand how to think and problem solve which again fits in 
any industry, any place, anywhere, in every company wants somebody who thinks that way. And uh, to Ellis's point, and to yours as well, saying that most people would feel like it's only the professional gamer who's going to be able to make a career for himself. I think it's antithetical to that notion. Really, I think it's the pro gamer who's probably going to make the worst career for himself. That's the only way you're going to go. Uh, you're starting to notice now, gaming is always going to be a thing, as Sam mentioned. Esports, we're going to see where it goes. But what's being created is the ability to create your own brand to be a streamer, to make your own market for yourself, and to be personal with your fan base more so than ever before in what you're doing. I think it's those people who have the biggest careers, and it's proven already. You have someone like PewDiePie, who will never beat me in a game of Madden, but makes $50 million a year. And he does that because he plays video games, and he is now not only a gamer, but he's an entertainer. He's a businessman. He now knows how to speak in front of a camera, where if you would have saw his first video, he looked entirely awkward in front of that camera. So being a pro gamer or a streamer or an esports athlete or anything along those lines, it's building much more than that. It's the point of Ellis is now you're able to go into more than you were ever before in the 80s or 90s or early 2000s. And everyone on this panel is a perfect example of that with that dichotomy because you're a moderator, but you're also interviewing eSport athletes. Sam, it, the OS is a perfect example of where we're sitting right now, a, a location where we can all play video games where he was able to monetize and make a business based off of gaming in itself. So it's not about the pro gamer. There's so many opportunities because of sports and because of eSports. And I think sometimes, even with me, like, it's hard to think about, like, eSports and gaming, it's like a global thing. Like, it's not just in your market. It's not just in your country. Like, it's China, it's Europe, it's Russia, it's Turkey, it's all over the planet. So again, like the platform, like the Xbox platform, uh, and what we're teaching our kids with software programming. Like, there's a, there's a whole indie gaming uh, industry where you have these small indie game companies that build games, and they might be on the Xbox, Xbox platform for $8.99. They're not $59.99 like the major games. But they're $8.99. But again, you're getting a chance to market that $8.99 game to a global audience that logs in on that Xbox. So, but sometimes it's hard to fathom like how huge these, these consoles are, or even with the you know the, the tower gaming. Like these are huge, huge, huge groups of people that span billions of people around the planet. So but sometimes it's hard to think about it that big and under and, and kind of think outside of what you know or what you can see. I, I always tell people there's that potential. Like if you have a basketball team in New York and a basketball team in Tokyo, it's pretty, they need to be in person to play each other. But there is always that future of being able to play against each other from around the world with that connectivity. Uh, Sam, I've, I've asked you a lot of things before in my life. I've never asked you this, but I, I'm excited to hear your answer on this because people, when they ask me about this, I always tell them this is what I think one of the smartest investments is right now is esports real estate. How hot is esports real estate right now? And video gaming real estate? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, there's a lot going on. Let's put it that way. There's As the boss of this place. Like, I, so, it, there's, in my opinion, it's as broad as real estate outside game. There's some real things that are doing very well. There's some things that I'm willing to put my money on, right? I, we obviously, with my co founders, we did put our money on this. Um, Right at the beginning, there was a lot of conversation about community, and that's how this has been built. It has actually been built as a concept that allows people off the streets in here today 
you've seen the menu, you'll realize that we're not making our money off everyday people coming in here. Um, so that's not how we built this business model. We decided that the gaming community is powerful, that as a collective it is valuable, and that as people make more digital relationships, they need physical touch points to justify it, right? So we're meeting these people online. I have friends that I've never met because I met them playing Call of Duty. I'm okay, so, and that is true. I love playing with it. And then this facility, when I moved here from the UK, I suddenly could meet the Americans that I played online with. It's places like this, it's places like E3, TwitchCon, historically singular events, Comic-Con, that allowed you to meet these friends you had online. We wanted to build this so you could do it 365 days a year. So it's a slightly different concept. Then you've got facilities that, again, being built as esports arenas. 6,000 seats, you know, $60 tickets, whatever it might be. So it really is broad. Um, but is the high street struggling? They are looking for more and more concepts to come in. Uh, New York is a rarity in that sense. You're never going to struggle to, to rent a place out in New York. But you go to the secondary cities in the U.S. and, you know, GameStop is going bankrupt. Right? Best Buy is going bankrupt. So what are we doing on our high streets? It's a multi-use entertainment-style facility that is benefiting from this rush of gaming and esports. In uh, terms of esports, uh, esports athletes, and in terms of video games, are video games, should we consider them sports? Should we consider esports professionals athletes? Does anyone, does anyone have thoughts on that? Potentially, uh, as we all sit next yeah. to a Super Bowl winning athlete. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're competing, right? It's a competition. And I've seen a lot of these competitions on TV, like you see the FIFA tournaments on NBC. Uh, and people are competing. I mean, their, their energy's up. They have crowds. And I feel like, you know, if, there is, if it's a situation where you, where you can get two guys or a group of people to come together and, and compete, and they're athletes, right? And then they can actually like generate an audience, like like athletes do. Um, they they require a venue. Like I've seen, you know, eighty thousand people at a Fortnite event. Like who does that, right? Like no nobody but entertainers and athletes like draw those type of crowds. So um, in the spirit of competition, absolutely, because I know a lot of these players put a lot of time, put a lot of work a lot of effort into perfecting their craft. So you can be considered an athlete, just not better than me though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll do the devil's advocate answer, not, even if I might not completely agree with it, and that is two things. One, I think it belittles gamers to put them in with athletes, right? Because what we're trying to do, what this, what, what this industry has tried to do is explain gaming in terms that people understand. I think we've got to the point where we don't need to anymore. Right? It's big enough, and I actually think professional gamers are professional gamers. Dancers are dancers. You don't argue, I mean, some people do, but most people don't argue if dancing is a sport. They're dancing. And there's hundreds of forms of dancing, both competitive, casual, and for the love of dancing, just like sports. There's competitive, there's casual, and there's playing for the love of sports. So for me, we're getting to the stage where We've been asking that question for several years. We're getting to the stage where we may not need to ask that question anymore. It is a category in of itself. 
Um, and professional gamers are just professional gamers, is, what, is where I'm hoping we're getting to. And I completely agree with that. I think it's a fantastic point. Um, and the one thing I'll say away from the word athlete is most people don't understand from a competitive standpoint as a recreational standpoint um, what it takes to be a professional. For myself, I can tell you right now, as a 10-year professional Madden player, before I was ever a professional Madden player, before I ever got my first check, before I ever got anything, I had put a lot of time and effort into that game beyond a recreational capacity of just playing with your friends. So you're now talking about the way someone studies film playing football or the way someone studies film playing basketball is no short of what an esports competitor has to do when they're playing something for eight hours a day and they're not just doing it to do it they're studying every single animation they're studying every single part of the code so what they're doing is they're reverse engineering code and figuring out prob probability at that point which is every nba 2k athlete every fifa athlete or every fortnite player whatever you want to call them they're studying every single algorithm that happens that the developers give them. So they're really reverse engineering it as a result of that. Most people wouldn't know this, but like it's EA Sports and Epic Games who then fly those professional players out to be expert beta testers, myself being one of those people. So they say, you can dissect our code better than our own dev guys and figure out what will be manipulated. And that can't happen in real life. That only happens in video games. In your peak as a math professional, how much practice were you putting in a week? I would lie to people and tell them six hours a day. It was, it was much more than that. I would say in August, when the game first comes out, um, my girlfriend wouldn't see me anymore. And it would be at least 15, 16 hours a day. Um, and the thing is, the unfortunate thing is this. I, I think the biggest thing about esports that we need to move away from, and the second we do this, it will be bigger than it is now, is we need to move esports away from being a gladiator sport. And meaning that, like, right now, tennis, golf, those are gladiator sports. Tiger Woods makes a lot of money, but that's because Tiger Woods is always finishing top 10. There's a lot of people in a tennis circuit, professional players who are 500 rank in the world, and they struggle to get from one event to the other, and they have to drive all over the place, and that's tennis. So from eSports, you have guys like myself who got paid $1,000 to go to an event, but there's other guys who have the exposure and overhead of $1,000 to go to that same event that they're paying for. And if they don't win that weekend, they lost a thousand dollars. So that's the type of overhead that prevents this sport from even being bigger now because it's gladiator based. Whereas a sport like basketball or football, you could be the 53rd man on that roster or you could be the 12th guy on that team, but you're still a part of a championship and you're part of a guaranteed salary. And those are things that like the 2K League and you know companies like that are now starting to say, we're gonna pay people across the board for their hard work and their efforts. And that changes the sport entirely from them saying, I have to go and I have to win. So I have to There's a... I think, I mean, I think even with esports, it comes down to like, like I know uh, in the NFL, you know, there's, there's the CBA, there's a, a collective bargaining agreement because there's revenue split, right? There's $10 billion in revenue. Um, so I think it would come down again, it's in this, esports is in its infancy. So I mean, once, it gets to a point where there's a consistent pool of revenue. And I still think the industry is figuring out like, okay, what's going to be the revenue driver? What's going to be the thing that we know, like NFL, we know we're going to fill these stadiums every week and we got this TV contract with CBS. Those dollars are coming in every single year. So that's default profit that we have with this league. Or NBA has a deal with TNT to show their games. That's default profit, right? So what's going to be the default profit for esports? 
Uh, and as it pertains to like, you know, it, them being athletes, I think it more comes down to being a professional, right? Like, I mean, I've, I've been on football teams where there's been guys who had immense talent, but they couldn't behave like pros. So they got cut, right? They couldn't show up on time. They couldn't be accountable for the information. They're getting into it with coaches. They don't know how to be a good teammate. They're great talent-wise, but they just can't be a pro. They're not putting the work in. They're not working hard enough, right? Because it's the elite of the elite of the elite, right? 100 guys from the training camp, 50 guys are going home without a job every single year. Only the elite are going to make it. So I think it comes down to what, how much work you're willing to put in uh, and are you willing to do what it takes to be considered a pro in any area, in any, any space. And again, with esports, it's like, What's going to be that thing that kind of builds in that default revenue so guys don't have to come out of their pocket, right? Guys don't have to pay out of their own pocket to go to a tournament. So what's going to be that thing that I still think, you know, we're, we're at the cusp of figuring that out. There's a lot of, uh, like, so for those who don't know, Louis Vuitton, I believe it was, became a sponsor of League of Legends this year. Uh, Ninja, you know, the top streamer, has a deal. He has a signature shoe with Adidas Originals right now. How do you guys see esports and video games weaving into the culture? And Gerard, I mean, you're you're close with athletes who are in these locker rooms now and have money and recognize what's going on. I mean, how much is it just right in the culture like that? 2021, marketing on your calendar, uh, collegiate athletes, the fact that they can leverage their likeness to get a part of uh, equity partnership deals or uh, esports. Uh, leveraging their likeness is going to be a huge thing. I think that's going to drive a lot of uh, 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 the high school kids uh, getting involved in that in the early days. And I feel like collegiate programs, that's going to be uh, a way to recruit athletes to come to their school. Um, so just going to the professional level on their off time when they're just relaxing at home, they're tired from practice, all they do is play video games. And if we can start putting the camera, the streaming, sort of what Sam has right there in their home or wherever the case, them, them coming to an OS location during their off, off time, um, it's going to be a huge thing for this industry. And I, just to go off of that point, I honestly think that we could thank gaming for that rule that's changing right now. Uh, you look at the NCAA and how, I always said the NCAA stands for no one can accomplish anything because they won't allow you to make money off of yourself. And with that being said, I think it's even as one of the biggest parts have changed that because when you have a 10 year old or a 13 year old or a 15 year old or a 17 year old making more money than they would probably project to make when they're in college or even after college, it's hard to get that person to agree to make nothing off of their own name at this point. Someone like uh, the, the Fortnite winner who was 17 years old and pulled a $3 million paycheck because he won the Fortnite challenge if they were to have an eSport in Duke or Syracuse or LSU or anywhere, and they told him, you can't make money off of your own likeness, he would say, why would I come here? And it's something like that that makes you say, I'm still not gonna pay these kids, but at least we allow them to make money off of their own name. That has a lot to do with him. And these two guys played college athletics. So for you guys knowing that, because right now it's a conversation, and the NCAA is kind of, in my mind, got their ear, they're like, what's going on with you? And there are a lot of other sport clubs, esports competitive club teams at these schools who are maybe starting to have conversations, listening, but they're, you know, are they going to establish their own organization? It's, it's unclear right now. 
you guys were in those shoes as past NCAA athletes. What's your advice to them? I mean, I love the fact that they're they're allowing the kids to be able to make money off their own likeness. Uh, prime example, okay, Oklahoma just had a huge recruiting class. Before those students have even made it to campus, they've created logos for those kids. They're selling t-shirts with those kids' logos. It's a travesty that those kids don't get paid off of that. They're not even there yet, and you're selling their name and you're selling their likeness with their initials from this last recruiting class. So uh, I'm grateful for somebody like LeBron James and a lot of these guys who are going out and championing champion, uh, this cause. Uh, there's a lot of revenue being generated. And again, thanks to the NBA, I think the NBA was one of the first leagues where these guys went out and demanded their value to the franchise, not their portion of the salary cap. I want my value that I generate for you because people come to games when I show up. Uh, so I, that's, I think the NBA has been leading on that. Uh, and putting pressure on the NCAA because the eyeballs are on the amount of revenue that comes in. And now we're looking at where it goes. We know everybody in here probably got a student loan, right? Everybody in here got a student debt. So, so it's not for the school. Where's that money going? Uh, and it's, it's great to put pressure on these, on these universities and on these organizations to force them to you know, not only give them opportunity to make money, I'm hoping there's an opportunity for profit sharing. Because again, these players, when the football team do well, when the basketball team do well, people show up and they and enrollment goes up. So they're making money off the TV contracts, they're making money off the bowl games, off the NCAA tournament, as well as your enrollment going up. And you know, you're, so overall, athletics is driving the revenue of these colleges. Uh, I would love to see when these players start to get their share. And I'd be really, really happy. Again, I've seen a lot of esports uh, uh, clubs on campuses. We'll be at FIU for the Super Bowl. We're having a big STEM event at FIU for the Super Bowl. They have a, a esports gaming club there that we invited to come out and help and teach our children. So uh, again, I think we're at, we're at the cusp of a lot of these things. Really just kind of, you know, we just kind of got to kick the door in with the NCAA, with the revenue share, and with all of these things. Gerard, I know you got hurt in college, so I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. I was actually a part of the, the class action lawsuit that they did uh, when we were at the last college, uh, I think it was 2000, 2013, where uh, NCAA had the last video game. Uh, that was my freshman year, so I was a part of that lawsuit where we uh, basically compiled all these athletes and we basically sued them uh, NCAA and we got paid for that. So I see that as sort of the, the, the start to what we're talking about here. It's, it, now that these athletes can leverage their likeness um, and can be in these video games, the sky's the limit. Um, and then they can tweet and post to their own social fan base. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's a game changer. Can we, Nick, can we take any questions? Q&A? Yeah, we want to open up a, a Q&A right here. That hand went up right away. Let me see if I can. I don't want to break your equipment, Sam. Hi, my name is Isis Maywood. I work for Future Report. Um, I feel like we've been talking about traditional athletes and esports athletes are like two separate 
people and like you trying to bridge that gap with your last question. I know. And like, I feel like the audience for those things and the appetite for those things are different. So I throw a lot of events for a picture and we've done gaming lounges at our massive fan festivals that draw like five, six thousand, seven thousand people there. Like All-Star Weekend, uh, Summer League, all these different big sports temples. Our gaming lounges always fall short. People aren't coming to these big events to play in the gaming lounges. They're coming to see the influencers play on the basketball court. They're coming to see an influencer do anything else. And so I want to talk to you guys about how we can make gaming lounges more appealing in that space, or is the direction taking that out of that space and producing its own separate thing because the audience may have a consider? Yeah, um, so this Chicago uh, in February will be the 10th year running, I'll, I'll, I will have done a gaming event for the NBA. So luckily enough, I did it for seven years and now our agency does it for the NBA afterwards. So, a lot of experience in this specifically in the NBA. I think that the first thing you've got to get in the mindset of is uh, why do people game, right? Um, a lot of people ask us the same question with these facilities. They say, why would someone come game at OS when they can game at home? Which is a completely yeah. fair question. Now, we answer here that it's because people want to game socially. You know, it's the point I made earlier. People want to meet people they would normally play online with. And they make six nights out of seven, they'll play online with them. And then Friday night, they say, now nah, let's do it on OS and run it here. You know? And that's, that's why they do it here. We're not replacing home gaming, we're adding to it. And it's the same thing when you think of a sports event, right? You've got to get into the mindset of why is someone at the All-Star? Why are they at the Super Bowl? For the vast majority of people, and now yes, a lot of these events have become corporate and most people are guests. But if you're a Joe Bloggs and you spend thousands of dollars getting to this event, gaming is not why you're there. Um, and our activations isn't about gaming, it's about, Jeff knows because he's worked separate of these for us, it's about gaming with the legends, with the NBA players. So our events um, will never be just the gaming lounge, it'll actually be like, meet your hero. And then what do you do with your friends at home? You play games. For us, gaming is the great connector between athletes and everyday people. Uh, and we idolize athletes and we look up to them. But when you pick up a controller, you suddenly yeah. super chill, we're on the same page, and that's probably better than you, right? And now, there you go, super boring, but now we're friends. I'm doing what with you, what I do with my boys back home. So for us, it's about the programming of the lounge that's a lot more important about the location. And that's how we've seen success in the NBA. I'd also add just gaining influencers. You talked about they want to see the influencers. Yeah. We used to, so the first thing that I ever did in gaming were when Sam was at the NBA is we would do, this thing called Do NBA 3X, it was a three-on-three NBA-sponsored tournament. We had an NBA 2K tournament set up there. And honestly, I think it had more, it was almost more popular in certain places than the actual gameplay. Yeah. And part of it, Ronnie 2K, for those who know, so you know Ronnie. So if you put Ronnie in any booth, yeah. kids are going to flop. Right. So, I mean, when he wasn't there, they'd ask me, Whereas Ronnie 2 yeah. I'd say he's not coming, and they'd say, we don't, we don't want any Jeff, you know, but, no. but so like that, it's the gaming influencers are important to just having something. So, next question. Uh, you might have to come up here for this microphone. Hello, my name is Ariel. I am a publicist for Dash Radio. I handle the NBA 2K station. Um, a question that I have is related to esports and music. 
Um, for example, United Masters, as you also know, you may know, they have a partnership with the Indian Supreme Gang. Do you foresee esports um, going deeper and just into the music industry, similar to how the NBA has kind of taken over the music industry in a way as well? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was probably not deal before I left. So, um, <laughs> yes, uh, it, it's it's culture. Now we talk about what we're doing. Gaming is just culture. Music is culture. Film is culture. It is what makes us human beings. It's what makes the first question a lot more interesting than what do you do for a living. I'd rather be like, who are you as a person? You know, uh, and that's what the link between gaming and music is, it's just another way of expressing yourself. I genuinely believe that about gaming. I think, you know, this might sound crazy, but I think it's an art form just like music. Uh, and like I said earlier, it's a great connector. So, so that's like the cultural link. But then beyond that, there's just a lot of crossover. A lot of pros, I'm not sure if this is the way in Madden, right? Maybe you can help it. In 2K, a lot of people don't want to hear it again. They actually listen to music while they play. They want to, is it the same in Madden? They don't want to hear the commentary. So like a lot of people like, music is a big part of their pro gaming as well. And so that's created a very authentic link at the professional level. Uh, and I'm always fascinated. We did this at the 2K League. We did, what, what's, your, what's your playlist? It was the questions we asked every week. Those videos always performed well on social media. People wanted to know, hey, best 2K player in the world, what do you listen to before the game? What do you listen to while you game? So, those connections, and that's just something so unique about music, because it connects over so many industries, is so true in gaming. Uh, it's exciting, and I think you're going to see a lot more. Columbia, uh, Columbia and Sony, for example, signed four artists specifically because they're gamers, and they're writing music for video game punches. So it's a complete arm of Sony that's been built uh, over the last six months, and that's really fascinating to see. When when they have the esport, whatever the ESPN thirty for thirty on esports is, or maybe it'll be a, a te esports textbooks. Let's say that chapter three or four is going to include the night that Drake played Fortnite with Ninja on Twitch. Because I had a lot of friends who at that time were, you know, they're like, "What is this thing you're doing with NBA two I think it was between seasons one and two. And I, at one a.m., I was getting texts from friends saying. Drake is like playing video games or something right now, streaming online with someone really popular named Ninja. And that legitimized to me, because Drake, I'm talking about this, comes from the music entertainment industry. I think Travis Scott was playing with him too, and someone else, Juju Smith Schuster, coming from the athlete world. So you had four of these entertainers, eight entertainers coming together, playing live, interacting with an audience from like 12 to 2 a.m. Eastern time. And to me, it legitimized so much and changed and opened up people, so many people's eyes to how mainstream this whole industry was. So. And, and credit to Drake on that point, more so than Ninja, because what Drake was doing was a great business move. He realized that, obviously, Drake is more famous than Ninja is, but he also yeah. realized, yeah, but he also realized that what Ninja was doing in the way that he spoke to his demographic was so powerful that by him, going and working alongside with Ninja was actually a better move for Travis Scott, Juju Smith, Schuster, and Ninja because now, or, or Drake, because now they're able to speak to that one million kids or two million kids and promote their next album at a much more uh, powerful rate because of retention. So instead of just saying, hey, I'm out here and I'm gonna put up an album and it's coming out in September, and I put that in a tweet or a post that might be looked over in two seconds, I'm now playing this video game for an 
hour and I can say things over the course of time and kids are asking me more questions and there's more of a community based around a million people literally typing in their keyboards asking questions all about that. So it was actually, it was an absolute calculated move by Drake and it was genius marketing. And if you have all four streaming, then that's four different, different audiences. Uh, any other, you want maybe one more or are we done here? Oh, one more question. Yeah. Um, um, how are you guys doing? So my name is Max. Uh, I'm actually a research associate with Overtime. Um, so we recently launched our 2K team, um, and we know that not every gamer will become a professional athlete, um, but you do see colleges uh, giving out esports scholarships now. How do you foresee that changing the way esports is uh, accepted by parents uh, and Households worldwide, they see their kids in actually college sports. I mean, well, I don't know. Am I the only parent on this panel right now? Right? Yeah, we don't. Only one popping out babies over here. <laughs> um, that's how bad that's yeah. <laughs> I will say this. Um, I was. I, we took our kids. Me and another dad took our kids to a Rockets game last night. Uh, and one of the concerns he had was, how is he going to pay for college? Right, so I'll guarantee you, if there were scholarships to play esports, he would have his kids playing video games every single day because college is expensive, right? Much more expensive than when he went to college. So he knows that's a to go to a good school. That's 70, 80, 90, 100 grand possibly to go to the school that he would want his kid to go to. So if he could get his kid to go for free, and those were legitimate opportunities. I guarantee you parents would be more engaged. Again, I think parents these days are looking for the pot, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Why is my child doing this? Is he just wasting his time? Or is there a benefit to him spending so much time playing this game? So if there were scholarships, dude, it'd be, it'd be awesome. I, I spent a few years as a professional tennis instructor and what I learned quickly was, again, coming from, you know, the Bronx and, and everyone playing football and basketball outside, we did that because we loved it and we had our own dream of getting a certain place, but there was not much overhead for our parents to let us do that. It was like, go out and play. For tennis, it's not that at all. It's, it's an investment. And what I learned was, while these kids are learning from them, having a good time, their parents absolutely saw that as an investment because they were saying, well, I'm putting lessons in now, but at the same time, tennis doesn't have the same traction as football and basketball and baseball, so you have a chance to get a scholarship, which ultimately will save me tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of years. So if a parent were looking at that in the same realm as gaming, one, I would see what you're talking about, but two, more importantly, it's what you gain as well as the chance to get a scholarship. It's again, the ability to be like, Jeff, who now is comfortable speaking in front of the camera and is, is now a host for Sam, who now has a you know gaming space in real estate. So if you're teaching your kids how to get in comfortable from the camera or become entrepreneurs or, or get into real estate. There's so many more things that you have to learn from gaming because it really is that community. Whereas in basketball and baseball, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have that same type of community. In gaming, you are dealing with 20-year-old, 10-year-old, at all times, and it just helps kids grow up faster. Again, if it's monitored the right way.